morning, you guys. So glad you're here. My name's Dan, if I haven't met you, and uh, if you're a guest with us, thank you for being here. I'd love to meet you after the service. You guys, Jesus Christ has invited us to use our lives for his glory. He's invited us to take the gospel to all peoples of the earth. Right before Jesus ascended to heaven, he told his followers in Acts 1, verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So for you and me, this means that Stanwood is not the limit of our mission field. Snohomish County is not the limit of our mission field. Here at Cedar Home, we want to invest our lives in multiplying disciples of Jesus here in Stanwood and also among every people group on the earth. The past few weeks, we've been looking at the first sermon that the Apostle Peter preached after Jesus commissioned his, his followers. Uh, Peter and the Apostles and about 120 Christians were in Jerusalem praying together and they were waiting for the Holy Spirit to come to them. And they were waiting for him to empower them supernaturally to begin this mission of taking God's good news to all peoples of the earth. And while they were in a house praying in Jerusalem, the Holy Spirit descended upon them from heaven with the sound of a mighty rushing wind. And individual flames of fire rested above the heads of each of the believers there. And the Christians began to pour out of this house into the streets of Jerusalem where thousands of Jews from all over the world had gathered to celebrate the Pentecost festival. And suddenly there, uh, empowered by the Holy Spirit, the Christians began to preach the gospel in all the different languages of the Jews who had gathered there from all over the world. And the Jews were looking at this and they couldn't make sense of this miraculous event, but it was undeniable that God was doing something. And so the Apostle Peter began to explain to them what was going on. And he explained that the coming of the Holy Spirit was the fulfillment of the Jews' own ancient prophecies that the last days on earth had begun. And empowered by the Holy Spirit, Peter began to preach a long sermon. And as he was preaching, the Holy Spirit was working through his words, and as the crowd was listening, the Holy Spirit was working in their hearts. And, and like I said last week, uh, as we looked at Acts 2, 22 to 36, Peter essentially preached two sermons at the same time. On the one hand, he, he preached the core doctrines of the Christian faith, which uh, is what we looked at last Sunday. And at the same time, Peter was showing the crowd, these Jews, that God the Father had clearly declared to them in many ways that this Jesus of Nazareth was both Lord and Christ. Now hear this. Peter was not merely telling the crowd, here are all the reasons why I believe that you should believe that Jesus is God. He doesn't do that. Instead, Peter points to an infinitely higher authority than himself to validate that Jesus is God. Peter points the crowd to God the Father's testimony. He points the Jews to their God to give witness to them that Jesus is Lord and Christ. And he essentially tells them, your God, who you call Yahweh, he is the one who declares that Jesus is God. God the Father is the one who declares that Jesus of Nazareth is one with him. God the Father testifies to you that Jesus is Yahweh. 
And God the Father also declares that he's not just the Lord, which he is, but he's also the Christ. He's the Messiah that you have been waiting for. Jesus is the Savior sent from God the Father to free you from your enslavement to sin and death and hell. That's what Peter preaches here. And and that was great news for everybody who heard Peter preach that day. And it is great news for those of us today, wherever we are on our spiritual journeys. And if you have a Bible with you, that's where we're going to dig in today. So you can look at, uh, turn to Acts chapter 2, verse 22, if you have a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, we'll put it on the screen in a moment. Acts 2:22. Before I read this aloud here, let me pray for us. Let's ask God to continue to work among us and to help us. Lord, we thank you for giving us this privilege to gather as your church today to worship you through song, to fellowship together, to serve your church, and now to open your word. And Holy Spirit, we, we ask that you'd use this word to transform our lives today. Help us to stand in awe of you. Help us to overflow with thankfulness for what you have done and are doing to save sinful people and to bring glory to your name. Father, you've given us so many evidences of your existence and of your glory and of the divinity and glory of your son Jesus. And for those whose hearts have never seen the glory of God and Jesus Christ, we ask that you would open their hearts to see his glory today. Please give them hearts to trust in Jesus for your forgiveness and for the eternal life that is in you alone. And give us all the nourishment our souls need today. Protect us from evil, please. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So I'll begin by reading Acts 2, 22 through 36 again, like last week. And um, remember, there's only one God, and he exists eternally as three persons. God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. And whenever you read the word God in this passage that I'm about to read, it primarily refers to God the Father. Okay? So let's start. Acts 2, verse 22. This is Peter preaching. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption." You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, 
that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all his witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So in this part of the sermon, Peter is he's, he's painting a beautiful painting that displays the glory of God in Jesus Christ. And the picture frame in which Peter places this painting is the first and last verse of this passage. In the picture frame, the frame is the declaration that God the Father has attested in many ways that Jesus is both Lord and Christ. And the painting in the middle of that frame illustrates how God has testified to us that Jesus is Lord and God. And Peter lists eight ways that God the Father has testified that Jesus is both Lord and the Messiah, the Christ. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at these eight ways that God the Father has testified or declared to us that Jesus is Lord and Christ, okay? First, in verse 22, Peter says that God the Father has testified that Jesus is both Lord and Christ by the mighty works, wonders, and signs of Jesus. Jesus was not a ma uh, magician. Uh, he did not perform magic tricks for people. Instead, Jesus did mighty works and wonders, and he performed signs that pointed to the reality that he is God. Jesus went to a wedding feast where, you know, there were about six barrels of water, and these barrels were about the size of the garbage cans, this 40-gallon tubs that we have in our garage that we put our, uh, our trash in. And while he was at the feast, they ran out of wine, and so they asked Jesus for help. And Jesus supernaturally transformed those six 40-gallon barrels of water into wine. And in fact, it was a far superior wine than they'd even had before. Jesus is the better wine for our souls. He is far superior to any wine of this world. The blood that Jesus shed for the forgiveness of our sins, the purification of his blood, is the wine, the best wine that you can drink and the best wine you can enjoy through faith in Jesus. The wine of Jesus offers humanity true joy that doesn't just last for a night, but it lasts for eternity. And then Jesus went to the Jewish temple, and, and he was filled with a, a holy anger as he saw how corrupt it had become by the merchants who were, who were trying to profit off of the worshipers who had come to worship God. Well, Jesus is the true and better uncorrupted temple of God. And he said, even though men will destroy the temple of my body, I will raise it again in three days. 
And that's exactly what Jesus did. Remember, there was, there was a man who lived in a town, I think Capernaum, by the Sea of Galilee, and he had a son whom he loved very much, and his son was deathly ill, laying in his deathbed, about to die. And so the boy's father uh, had heard of this Jesus of Nazareth, and he courageously left his son's side, and he traveled as fast as he could to, to Jesus, who was, who was about 20 miles away. Father traveled to Jesus, he found Jesus, and when he told Jesus about his sick son, Jesus said, go back home, your son will live. And at the exact moment when Jesus spoke those words, the boy who was 20 miles away on his deathbed began to get better, and they know that because the servants were there with him, and they, they couldn't believe what was going on, and so they ran and met the dad halfway as he was coming back to see his son, and they said, you're not going to believe this. He got better around 1 o'clock yesterday, right, when you talked to Jesus. Jesus healed him with a word from 20 miles away, and even though Jesus does not heal everyone from physical illness in this life, and even though all of us will eventually die, all humans. Jesus is the great physician who heals our souls, okay? Jesus heals our hearts, he heals our pain, he heals us from the sin that's broken our bodies and from the sin that's broken our spirits. Because Jesus put sin to death on the cross, everyone who trusts in him will never be sick again after this life. That's great news. My family's homesick today. I'm just thinking about that. I'm the only one here. My family's homesick. It's like, they're not going to experience that after this life if they're in Jesus. Amen? And then Jesus healed this paralytic man we've read about who, who was lying on, uh, by this pool of Bethesda that was supposed to have healing powers. And, and the man wanted someone to put him into the pool of water when the water got stirred up so that he could be healed. But Jesus came to the man and he said, you don't need that water. You need me. And Jesus made the man stand up right then and there, and the man rolled up his mat, and he carried it under his arm as he walked away. And, and in the same way, Jesus is the only one who can heal us from our sin. He's the only one who can cause us to walk away from our sin and to begin to walk in God's ways of righteousness. Remember the time there was a, a crowd of 5,000 people plus, it was probably just the men that were their wives and kids there too, but it talks about the 5,000 who they'd been following Jesus around the countryside and, and they'd been so infatuated with Jesus that they, they'd forgotten to eat and there was no food anywhere for this crowd. And so Jesus took these five loaves of bread and these two fish that a boy offered to him and he multiplied those loaves and those fish and, and everybody in that crowd sat down and they were fed until they were full. And then there were baskets full of food left over that they were so full they didn't eat. And Jesus told the crowd, you cannot live on physical bread alone. You need spiritual bread to give life to your souls. I am the bread of life. Take me into your soul through faith by trusting in me and I will sustain and feed your soul now and forever. And Jesus, remember this, he healed a man who was born blind from birth. And there was a spiritual truth behind this miracle, like all of the signs of Jesus, that Jesus alone gives sight to the spiritually blind. 
Jesus gives lost people, by his grace, the ability to see that Jesus is God and that he's glorious. Jesus graciously gives lost people the, the, the ability to see that their wicked words, their, their wicked actions that are done in disobedience to God are ugly, that they're dishonoring to God. And Jesus enables us to see how much more beautiful Jesus is than our sin and how much more blessed it is to pursue holiness and to pursue an honorable life and to love others like Jesus has loved us. And as we do that, we testify to the greatness of God as we celebrate the gospel and rest in him. Now remember this, when, when Jesus' friend Lazarus died, while well, Jesus was a long way off ministering to people, and after Lazarus had been dead and buried in a tomb for four days, when the Jews said, you can't touch him after four days, the body is, the spirit is definitely gone after four days. So Jesus waited that long to come and, and to minister to them. And he came back to Lazarus' town, and he ordered his family to open Lazarus' tomb. And they're like, Jesus, you don't want to do that. His body's begun to, to decompose. It's going to smell really bad. And Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And immediately, Lazarus came walking out of the tomb, still draped in his burial garments. And Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. That's what Jesus said. And we could go on and on, listing all the mighty works and wonders and signs that Jesus performed. In fact, John's gospel says that, that if all the amazing things Jesus did were written down, there would not be enough books in the whole world to contain them. According to John's gospel, this is the purpose behind these signs. Jesus said uh, the works uh, that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I'm doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. Okay? And then John goes on to write, the reason I'm writing these things to you is so that you will believe and have eternal life. So God the Father unleashed the power of God through Jesus, empowering Jesus to perform all signs and wonders that he did during his public ministry. And in this way, the Father testified to the Jews, to the world at that time, to us, and to all nations that Jesus of Nazareth is God the Son, the Lord and Savior of the universe. Now, the second way that Peter says that God the Father has testified that Jesus is both Lord and the Christ is by delivering up Jesus to suffer and die for our sin in our place. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's what, we, that's what he's called, right? Near the beginning of John, they're like, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And like we talked about last week, Jesus was fully God in human flesh, and he alone lived a perfect life without sin. Jesus' soul was spotless. He was the one and only sacrifice in the history of humanity who could atone for our sin. And Jesus bore our sin when he was hung on the cross. And Jesus suffered God's wrath toward us because of our sin. And Jesus put our sin and guilt to death when he died. Amen. Now, this atonement was not God's knee-jerk reaction to seeing a world going to hell. Jesus has been the Lamb of God since before the creation of the world. Verse 22 says that God the Father 
delivered up his son Jesus according to God's foreknowledge, according to God's definite plan. This wasn't plan B. This wasn't plan C. The death of Jesus was God's definite plan A. And according to Acts chapter 4, this is what God, quote, predestined to take place in order to exalt the majestic name of Jesus Christ to the highest place above all creation, and at the same time, by doing that, to graciously save and redeem his beloved people. And many centuries before God the Son ever came to earth um, in the person of Jesus, God told the world that this would happen. He spoke through many ancient prophets, but he spoke through an ancient Jewish prophet named Isaiah, who was, uh, who was one of many to vividly describe the future death of Jesus for sinners. We read this in Isaiah 53, 7 to 9. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. So, so Jesus lived a perfect life, which God was testifying to the world, through which God was testifying to the world that Jesus is Yahweh. And, and Jesus was arrested. He was led to the cross like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. Jesus bore our sins in his body. He suffered and died on that cross for our sins. He was buried in a rich man's tomb. And this was the plan of God from eternity past to glorify his own name among all peoples and among all the created universe. Jesus is the savior. He's the savior of the world and you and I need him to save us. Turn to Jesus and confess your sin to him today. Confess your need for him. Confess your faith in him and he says he will save you. He loves you, praise God. The third way Peter says that God the Father has testified that Jesus is both Lord and Christ is by raising Jesus from the dead. In verse 24, Peter says, God raised him, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. So the power of God was most intensely displayed in the way that God the Father raised his son Jesus from the dead after Jesus had been crucified. Okay? after Jesus had borne the fullness of God's wrath toward the sins of his people. See, that, that horrific and sin-atoning, wrath-absorbing torture is not the type of thing a mere human can get back up from. Bodies stay dead when they die. And, and those are bodies that haven't become sin. Those are bodies that haven't absorbed the fullness of God's wrath. But Jesus' body came back to life. And by the power of God, Jesus rose back from the dead, no longer in pain, no longer susceptible to sickness and death. Jesus' body was full of the glory of God. And, it, and it's only because of this, it's only because Jesus rose from the dead that you and I can have 100% confidence 
that Jesus truly accomplished his mission on earth. His mission was to glorify the Father by suffering and dying for the sin of the world in order to unite all of us who trust in him to himself so that we are declared not guilty for the sins we've committed. Praise God. You guys, God the Father is testifying to us. That's what it's saying. He's declaring this message to us. There's no other way than Jesus to be saved from the brokenness of this world and the brokenness of our lives. There's no other hope for life after death. There is no other freedom from fear. There's no other freedom from condemnation. There's no other peace for us in our tragedies, our cancer, our chronic pain, our depression, and our, our despair. Man, I saw this lived out. It was so powerful. I was with uh, our, our man, lovely man, Bob Rodenberger, passed away on Friday night. And I was with him shortly after that and for a couple hours. And what a, yeah, I could testify this about other people in the congregation too, but what an inspiration and a privilege it is to be with people who are so full of faith in the moment of death. Janine, this is amazing. She's been married, to, she's married to Bob for over 60 years. She said she could count on both hands the number, uh, they had slept together in the same bed less than 10 times in 60 years. And she didn't shed a tear while I was with her. I was blown away. And she, you know what she told me as I left? God is so good. That's amazing. You can't fake that. I want that. <laughs> that's, that's what I want. That's what we all need. Praise God for that. It's only because Jesus rose from the dead that we can have that kind of hope and that kind of peace in tragedy. Okay, the fourth way that Peter says that God the Father has testified that Jesus is both Lord and Christ is by fulfilling ancient prophecies about Jesus' resurrection. Peter says that when King David wrote Psalm 16 many centuries before Jesus, God was prophesying through David about Jesus' resurrection. And when Jesus rose from the dead, he fulfilled this prophecy. Uh, Acts 2, 25 to 31 says, For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn an oath uh, sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. Listen closely. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Verse 31 says, He, David, foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ. You're talking a thousand years 
This is incredible. God the Father tested, uh, testified through David a millennium before Jesus' resurrection. And according to God's definite plan, things happened exactly how God said they would happen. Jesus' body was not left in the grave. Jesus' body rose from the dead in exactly three days, just like Jesus had said on many different occasions. So God testifies to you and me through fulfilled prophecy that his plans cannot and will not be thwarted. God the Father raised Jesus from the dead just like he said he would and just like David said a thousand years earlier. The fifth way Peter says that God the Father has testified that Jesus is both Lord and Christ is by providing eyewitness accounts to Jesus' mighty works and to Jesus' resurrection. As Peter is preaching to this crowd of Jews, many of them had seen Jesus with their own eyes. And they'd seen him perform miracles, and that's why in verse 22, Peter says that God performed mighty works and wonders and signs, quote, in your midst as you yourselves know. So it's not like there was any disputing whether Jesus had done supernatural miracles. There were thousands of witnesses here. And also, we know that hundreds of eyewitnesses saw Jesus in his resurrection body. Peter says here in Acts 2.32, this Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. So when, when Peter says we're all witnesses here, he could be referring to the other 11 apostles who were standing with him. He could be referring to the 120 Christians who were there with him. Um, and uh, he could have been addressing everybody, everybody real generally, saying that our generation has witnessed that God the Father uh, has seen that God the Father raised his son Jesus from the dead. However you interpret it, there's no denying that there were at least 500 eyewitnesses to Jesus' resurrection, according to 1 Corinthians 15. And many of these witnesses were part of that ancient band of believers that we call the early church and that we're studying here in Acts. They, they began this mission of testifying to the ends of the earth that Jesus is Lord and Christ and that he rose physically from the dead, okay? Remember that the New Testament of our Bible was written by a number of these eyewitnesses to Jesus' resurrection. That's why the apostle John attests in John 1.14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then John goes to describe his eyewitness account even more in the book of 1 John. He begins that letter saying, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and which was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And obviously, the Apostle Peter was an eyewitness to Jesus' resurrection. He writes in 2 Peter 1, 16 to 18, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. 
For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Wow, Peter and John and, and the other writers of Scripture who encountered um, the resurrected Jesus wrote down these accounts themselves. We have to, you have to know that, and you have to hold on to that, because there's a lot of lies out there that, that don't agree with that. that. That we have in the Bible the actual eyewitness accounts of those men which they wrote down as they were guided by the Holy Spirit. Do not believe any theories that suggest that the Bible was written hundreds of years before the events, or after the events took place. Don't believe that, okay? Do not believe any theories that suggest that these eyewitness testimonies have been corrupted throughout the centuries, rendering, rendering them untrue and unreliable, which many religions teach, Mormons, um, uh, Islam. Those theories are lies from Satan because he doesn't, Satan doesn't want you to trust the Bible. He doesn't want you to believe the message of the Bible. He doesn't want you to be eternally saved. Why would he want you to believe the gospel? He wants you to question it. All the evidence, historical alone, besides the fact that God's word is self-testifying to the truth, all the historical evidence points in the total historical reliability of the Bible. It is a miracle that the Bible has been preserved so accurately in so many, uh, and it's, it's, it's just ridiculous. Yeah, anyways, so just know that. That is the truth. Don't believe some liberal scholars in a university who aren't even Christians and don't even, haven't even looked at the manuscripts. The Apostle Paul wrote in John, uh, excuse me, the Apostle John wrote in John 20, 30 to 31, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. God authored the Bible so that you may read it and believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, so that by believing, you may have life. You may have eternal life in the name of Jesus. That's a God who loves and pursues people. Amen? And so, <clears throat> there's, a, there's a spiritual battle going on here, okay? If Satan wants to keep you enslaved to your sin, if he wants to keep you in your brokenness, if he wants you to keep you believing lies, if he wants to keep you enslaved to dangerous habits that are killing you and the ones that you love, and which will eventually take you to hell, the Bible says they're steps to the grave, they're steps to hell. If that's what Satan wants for you, and it is, that he's going to work overtime to get you not to read the Bible and not to trust the good news of Jesus in the Bible because trusting in Jesus is the way that you're saved from Satan and from sin. You can trust the Bible. Not every, obviously not every book of the Bible was written by an eyewitness of the events recorded in, uh, in the book. And that does not make those books any less reliable or any less true. Because ultimately what made a book a part of the Bible was, was not that the author was an eyewitness, but that those writers spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. 
the fact that many of those writers were eyewitnesses is icing on the cake. God has testified that Jesus of Nazareth is both Lord and Christ by providing many eyewitnesses to the mighty works of Jesus and to the resurrection of Jesus. The sixth way Peter says that God the Father has testified that Jesus is both Lord and Christ is by exalting Jesus at the right hand of the Father in heaven. In Acts 2, 32 to 33, Peter says, this Jesus God raised up, and of that we're all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God. Okay, stop there. Like we've already seen in John's gospel and in, and in Acts, Jesus' resurrection and his exaltation into heaven, these were public events, okay? And, and both events are sermons from God to us. And they preach to us that Jesus is Lord, he's Christ, he's in control, he's good, he's the Savior, he loves us. And that Jesus has achieved victory over death and Satan and sin for the glory of God and for the blessing of his people, for the blessing of all who turn from sin and come to him. These are sermons that, that preach to us that Jesus is worthy of our worship. He's worthy of glory. Jesus is exalted by God the Father in the highest possible way, in the highest possible place that anyone could be exalted at the right hand of God in heaven. The place, the right hand is the place of the Father's greatest blessings, his greatest honor, and with all authority over everything. Jesus could not be exalted anymore. Paul had to create a word in Greek to, to try to describe this. It's like he's hyper-exalted. He's like, we would say, like maybe uber-exalted. That's probably the German translation. He's like, he's not just exalted, he's hyper-exalted. He's exalted-exalted. And God the Father through this is, is testifying to us that Jesus is my son, with whom I am well-pleased. He's the Lord, he's Yahweh, he's one with me. And so, creation, worship him and adore Jesus. So that's what we need to do this Christmas season. Think about that, when we think, oh, when we say, oh come let us adore him. Adore Jesus in your heart and with your family and your friends and with your words and your thoughts and with hearts of thanksgiving for his grace and mercy, even in the brokenness. Adore Jesus for being Yahweh, for being the Christ who is the Savior, who has broken our chains, our chains. We're the ones who are in chains. He broke our chains to the sin and for the whole world, for everyone who turns to him. He's worthy of our adoration. He sits exalted by God the Father in heaven, and he's awaiting his day to return to earth in glory. This is the hour of grace and mercy that we have to turn to the Lord. Do that. If you have not turned to the Lord, he is worthy of your life and your soul. And he is, the Father is testifying to us, Jesus is risen. He is exalted world, so worship him. Worship him with your voices, worship him with your minds, worship him with your hearts, worship him with your lives. And I've given you the good news of the gospel to, and the Holy Spirit to empower you to do that. Because on your own, you can't do it. 
And so when you fail, come back to the message of the gospel. That God hasn't booted you out of the house. That he loves you. Confess your sin to him. Receive purification from your sin. And, and, and be thankful that God's grip on you is greater than your grip on him. <laughs> That's great news. The seventh way Peter says that God the Father has testified that Jesus is both Lord and Christ is by empowering Jesus to pour out the Holy Spirit onto all Christians and into all Christians. Peter says in in Acts 2.33 here, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he, Jesus, has poured out this Spirit that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. And so the Father has testified to them, to us, that Jesus is Lord because Jesus sent, he received and sent the Holy Spirit to fill his church just like he said he would. And and, and the crowd of 120 Christians and the thousands of Jews to whom Peter was preaching at that time, they had just witnessed this. They had just witnessed the Holy Spirit's dissension upon and filling of the Christians with this Remarkable supernatural power, the, in the power and presence of God, the Holy Spirit, inside of Christians, and, by contrast, not in the Jewish people, was a remarkable witness to all the Jews gathered there in Jerusalem. And the power and presence of God, the Holy Spirit, inside Christians, would continue to be a powerful witness to the non-believing world as Christians would take this gospel of Jesus and begin spreading it to all peoples. And to this day, the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in the lives of Christians is still an irrefutable witness to the watching world. God the Father has fulfilled uh, biblical prophecies about the coming of the Holy Spirit, and he fulfilled Jesus' own promises that the Holy Spirit would be at his church. And the Holy Spirit's coming to us in the Holy Spirit's indwelling of believers permanently, the Holy Spirit's regenerating work of making people born again, uh, the Holy Spirit's ongoing ministry to God's church and to you as individual Christians, and all of the incredible ways that the Holy Spirit works in seen and unseen ways that he does for the glory of God testify and declare to us now that Jesus is both the Lord and the one and only Savior of the universe. And the eighth and final way Peter says here that God the Father has testified that Jesus is both Lord and Christ is by fulfilling ancient prophecies about Jesus' present reign in heaven. In Acts 2, 34 to 36, Peter preaches, For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit in my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And again, Peter points to the power of God's witness, his prophetic witness to the world. And Peter says that unlike David, whose dead body stayed in the ground, Jesus' body didn't stay in the ground. Jesus was raised by the power of God, and then God wasn't, the Father wasn't done with him. He ascended him, lifted him into heaven physically, and then God wasn't done with him. He exalted him and 
exalted, exalted him in heaven at his right hand. And, and here Peter is quoting Psalm 110, which David wrote about a thousand years before Jesus came to earth. And David wrote, the Lord, God the Father, said to my Lord, God the Son Jesus, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Well, Peter says that, that God fulfilled this prophecy when the Father lifted Jesus into heaven and exalted him at the Father's right hand, which is where Jesus is right now. Now, in, in verse 36, Peter says, because the Father has exalted Jesus in heaven, and because all the ways that the Father has testified to us, let all the house of Israel, so he's speaking specifically at this point to the Jews, and obviously to us, because we're reading it today, therefore, know for certain that God the Father has made him, this Jesus of Nazareth, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Catch that last phrase that Peter included? This Jesus who is Lord and Christ, this Jesus is who you crucified. And in, in earlier, he says, by the hands of lawless men, referring to the Romans. So, so the guilt of Jesus' crucifixion is on the Jews and on the Romans and on all humanity. Jesus was crucified for our sin. And if God the Father really is testifying here that Jesus is his one and only son, that he is the son of God who was killed because of my sin, then that's a problem for me. If he was killed because of your sin, that's a problem for you, a big problem. That means you're guilty. Not just because of the sins you've committed. I'm guilty not only of defaming God's name as a member of the human race, but also it's because of me that Jesus died. So what does that tell me? It tells me I'm guilty. You guys, we have to, we have to wrestle with that. We have to believe that message in the gospel. Because the world says everything else. Our postmodern world does anyway. You're not guilty. Believe what you want. There's no guilt. Do what's right for you, and I'll do what's right for me. Let's just try to all coexist, right? That's not what the gospel says. The gospel doesn't tell you you're not guilty if you're guilty. The gospel says you're deserving of hell. And I need somebody to save me from this guilt. I need somebody to save me from hell so that when I die, I don't go to hell. And God the Father is telling me, he's testifying to you and me, Jesus is the only one who can save you. Amen. And what this tells me is that God loves me and you more than we can imagine. Because the Father sent his son to die for us, his only son. And then God the Son, Jesus, suffered. He did it. He died for me. And then the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, took that work of Jesus' atonement and he applied it to me. And he saved me and he made me born again through faith. What did I do? Nothing except sin against God. But God loves me. Even when I was far away from God demonstrated his love for us in this, he died for us while we were still sinners. Romans 5 eight. God loves me and I can trust him and I need him. And my Savior, my Lord Jesus, is the one who died and rose again. My Christ, my Messiah, my Savior is Jesus, who God the Father has declared clearly and repeatedly to me and to all the peoples of the world. Jesus 
is both Lord and Christ. So let me repeat eight ways here, the eight ways that Peter lists that God the Father has testified to us that Jesus is both Lord and Christ. The Father has testified to us by the mighty works and wonders and signs of Jesus. The Father has testified to us by delivering up Jesus to suffer and die for our sins in our place. Third, by raising Jesus from the dead. Fourth, by fulfilling ancient prophecies about Jesus' resurrection. Fifth, by providing eyewitness accounts to Jesus' mighty works and to Jesus' resurrection. The Father has testified to us. Sixth, by exalting Jesus at the right hand of the Father in heaven. Seventh, by empowering Jesus to pour out the Holy Spirit onto and into all Christians. And eighth, by fulfilling ancient prophecies about Jesus' present reign in heaven. And so as we worship God as a church family and as individuals, and as we link arms together, as we fellowship in Christ, as we use our gifts to serve in the body for the for the, for the aid of the church and in our community, and as we share this gospel with non-believers, this testimony from God the Father is the content that we are sharing. This is the message we are celebrating. This message is the power of God to rescue us from sin eternally and to transform our lives on earth. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming. Thank you. Thank you for bearing our guilt because you love us. Thank you for dying for our sin and putting our sin to death, the guilt that we have, the real guilt and putting that to death. Thank you for rising again in power by the power of uh, of God and that you're, you're exalted. We thank you for that. We worship you. We praise you for that. And thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for giving us faith to believe this and then for, for as we trust in you, for miraculously uniting us to you so that the Father does not see our guilt. You don't see our guilt. The Spirit doesn't see our guilt. You see in us the righteousness and holiness of God. Thank you for that. And thank you for being our present hope, God. This is not just a hope we have as we look towards death, although it is a very powerful hope we have, but this is the hope and peace we have in our brokenness right now, God. You are with us. Your spirit uh, will never leave us or forsake us. You love us, and you're guiding us. So please, Holy Spirit, continue your faithful work in us. Help us daily to turn from the sin in our life, to turn to faith in you and to your holiness. Continue to help us celebrate and, and remember the gospel message, God, that we're not saved because of what we've done. That's because of our good works. That's very clear. We're saved because of what you did for us. And God, help us. Give us courage. Give us opportunities to share this witness, to share this message here in Stanwood, where we work, whether that's Everett, Seattle, wherever it is, and to be partners, and, and, and some of us to go to the ends of the earth to take this message to those who haven't heard it yet. Thank you for the privilege it is to be your sons and daughters. May we worship you well now in Jesus' name. Amen.